0: Rainmaker FM. You're listening to The Digital Entrepreneur, the show for folks who want to discover smarter ways to create and sell profitable digital goods and services. This podcast is a production of Digital Commerce Institute, a place to be for digital entrepreneurs. For more information, go to rainmaker.fm digitalcommerce That's rainmaker.fm slash digital commerce. Welcome to the Digital Entrepreneur, everyone. I am Sean Jackson and I am joined as always by the delightful Jessica Frick. (laughs) Jessica, how the Frick are you today?
1: Delightful, Sean. How the Jackson are you?
0: Good. I'm going to have to start looking through my thesaurus and find more uh, uh, synonyms that I can start using to reference you. So,
1: I was going to say, I've been called worse. I, I yeah, I do know. To- <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> and mostly by me, so you know... <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Not on the podcast, Sean. Not no, the podcast. no,
0: no, no. So, we left everyone hanging last week with our question of the week, which is about when should you bring in outside help? When should you bring in a contractor or an employee into your organization? So, Jess, you took the position of bringing them in early in the process, right?
1: Absolutely. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy. And we want to avoid that.
0: So, give the argument for bringing someone in from the outside early.
1: Well, I can, first off, I'll, I'll say, I understand where you're coming from. You want to wait until you absolutely need them because you don't want to spend money on things, but, and that's presuming that's where you are going to go with that. But I think that it's worth the money when you know, you're going to need them eventually anyway, to have somebody come in, own the job. And, you know, I used to work with a client who would say that if he was the smartest guy on his team, he was doing it wrong. Right. And. He would hire these brilliant people, you know, present company, obviously included. And we would come in and bring our expertise for things he would never even think of. And he was able to grow his business and sell it off. And I'm not sure he's working now. I think he's just hanging out with those piles of money. I'm not sure. But um, I've got to check in with that guy. (laughs) (laughs) But I know that I have seen it happen before where businesses will be built and they go through so many strains and pains that your company starts losing morale. You start losing business. You can't attend to the business you already have. And thus you need to get that help before you think you need it, because chances are you're not going to know you need it until it's too
0: late. Yeah, and I think there's a case to be made for that. Let me give you the argument against. I think you can't bring anyone in until you know your business to an extent that you can direct them in the place that you want them to go. So let me explain that. I think there is an evolution to every online business or to every business in general. And we all start with the one or two things that we're doing. And then over time, we have more things and more things. And we start to say the pressure is building, right? I I really need some help. But too often, if we bring them in too early, we haven't thought through what is that help that we need, defining what we need done and understanding the best way to get it done based on the unique culture that you have in the business, right? I think sometimes we jump the gun a little bit and say, well, I just need to bring somebody in right now. And if they're really smart, they'll figure this whole thing out because I don't have any time to talk to them, right? And I think that's the mistake you have when you bring them in early. But of course, to your point, you would say bringing them early benefits you. How?
1: Because they can expand upon your capabilities and save you from losing your mind.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much, you know, that's a, that's a foregone conclusion in some cases. Well, (laughs) yeah,
1: you have to be a certain kind of crazy to do this, but
0: yes, I think you have to be crazy to start your own online business. Are you kidding me? So I think
1: you cannot buy amazing customer service. You just give it and you give it early and you give it often because once you screw that up, you don't, you can't get that back.
0: Yeah, what you're referring to is the fact that if you don't bring in somebody early enough, then you may find that you are losing people quickly because you can't service them in the way that they were used to when you were smaller and it was just you and maybe just a few customers, a few clients, et cetera, right? Exactly. Exactly. Putting people in early allows you time to train them before things get crazy, allows you time to sit there and really understand the task at hand and how to service that best before the crazy comes on you and you've got 20,000 things that are occupying your time and attention right? That would be the argument for early, right? And the argument for late is very simple. If you don't know what you need people to do, then you're going to just be bashing your head against the wall because you haven't really figured out what is those tasks, what are those projects. And so sometimes taking the time to really understand them so you can make a strategic move, that helps with time, which means later in the process. But you know what, Jess, it really comes down to what does our audience think? What do they think? Should you bring some money in early? Should you bring him in later? That's what really comes down to. What do you think about that? And we have the best mechanism for you to give us that feedback by visiting our page, leaving a comment, letting us know when you, based on your personal experience, have found it right to bring in those outside people. And when we get back from the break, we have
1: The lovely and talented Jess Ostroff from Don't Panic Management.
0: Jess is amazing both of are Jessica as well as Jess, but Jess is amazing because she's built a whole business, both with employees and contractors, and helping other business owners reach out and have the resources that they need to build their business. So you don't want to miss this episode. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back. The Digital Entrepreneur is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical goods, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to Rainmaker.fm forward slash studio press right now. That's rainmaker.fm forward slash studio press. Welcome back from the break, everyone. And for today's interview, we decided that we had too many Sean's on before, right? Just that we've had so many (laughs) Sean's on the show recently that I wanted to confuse our audience even more and bring a Jess on (laughs) to contrast with our lovely Jessica. So Jessica, will you introduce our guest today?
1: I will. And she's one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. She makes me so happy whenever I see her. And it's so fitting that she is CEO and director of Calm of her company, Don't Panic Management Uh, which works with small business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives to help them organize and execute their day-to-day operations, giving them the ability to focus on the things that matter most. She is a wonderful human being, a get-her-done girl, and her favorite kind of cheese is aged goat Gouda. Introduce you to the lovely Jess Ostroff.
2: <laughs> Quite the intro, thank you, my fellow Jess. It's so <laughs> great to be here, and thank you, Sean. Of course, I'm glad of course, to be here.
0: Well, you know, to keep it simple, I'm going to call Jessica Frick, Jessica, and I'm going to call you Jess. So that way our audience won't get completely confused. So Jess, (laughs) let's go through this because this is, I think, a very important topic and you are in a very, very unique position to kind of give the pros and cons, but let's go through this general setup. I have been working my online business primarily by myself for some time now, maybe I've used a, a contractor here and there and pieces and parts, but infrequently. But given the success of my online business, things are starting to grow. I'm making some real money. You know, I'm, I'm my time is really, really busy. When do you think? Based on your experience, should a business owner start to consider putting someone more on a a continual contract basis as a part of their organization or bring them in an employee? What is the triggering event, do you think, to start to really consider personnel as a big part of your online business?
2: Well, in my own experience, you know, it is an interesting position to be because not only do I provide these services for other people now, but I also went through this myself as an entrepreneur where I got to the point where I had so many clients and so many hours of work that it was actually impeding my quality of life. And so for me, part of the reason why I started my own business was because I wanted to have the freedom. I wanted to have a flexible lifestyle. And the second where I felt like, you know, all this, Money was going into the bank, but I didn't have any time to spend it. <laughs> you know, that was the time where I decided to bring on more help. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, there's that friction point where the cost of of getting help and of getting some of your time and your sanity back is worth it. And everyone has a different setup, a different you know level of profit margin, and so I think that cost element is what is the differentiating factor between whether you should hire a contractor or an employee. But overall, the time when you just get overwhelmed and you just get to the point where you're not enjoying what you're doing and you're not able to spend any time living your life, I think, is when you should start thinking about um, hiring someone in the first place. And then for most people, it's a slow build. And I think that's why people start with a contractor or freelancer relationship, because especially in online businesses and service-based businesses, you can't always guarantee that you're going to have X amount of sales or X amount of clients to pay the bills. So starting someone small, you know, maybe five or 10 hours a week and having the opportunity to grow, you know, when I start working with people, I always ask them what what they're doing, you know, in in the rest of their lives. And a lot of them are, you know, their mothers or fathers or their actors or their chefs, you know, they do have other hobbies, But if I wanted to bring them from, say, 10 hours to 15 hours a week, I have the flexibility of doing that. So that's why that's a really good option for people. On the other hand, you know, if you've all of a sudden got, you know, you've gone from 10 clients to 50 clients, and you really need day-to-day full-time support, and you know that maybe it's even administrative things like scheduling your meetings or booking your flights that you're just not getting to. And we had a client recently that I'm thinking, about who ended up in Vegas a week early for an event because Ooh. he booked his own travel. <laughs> and that's, that was the pain point for him Ooh. where he was like, I'm so busy, I'm so busy with my clients that I can't even book my own flights. Right. And, you know, it's the pain of of screwing up and doing things wrong that was the impetus for him. But Sure. Have, there is something really nice about being able to share the burden. Um, <laughs> that's right. sort of what I use my employees for uh, is is having someone there all the time, someone that I can call on. But, you know, you have to get to a certain level to be able to justify that kind
0: of cost. And, and let's talk about that, because I think there is uh, in the natural evolution of anyone's business, there is going to be the, that point where you're looking forward and saying, I'm going to need some help. Okay? OK, now, I would hope that you need help because you have so much business coming in and you have so much money that, you know, you're really like, I, I got to do something now. But I think for most people, it's a gradual shift between I'm going to bring somebody in to start with maybe on a contract basis, but very regular contract basis, not ad hoc and then moving them to an employee. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the difference between the regular contractor, right, which is a service that you provide obviously, so you have a lot of understanding of that versus mm-hmm. that decision when you're going to say I'm going to put them in as employee because there are trade-offs to both. So let's start with what's in your wheelhouse. Talk about the and I want to call it continuous contractor, right? Not a permanent person, but a continuous contractor. What is the basic thing someone should be looking at when they're considering that type of service, be it a programmer, a writer, a personal assistant? It really doesn't matter. But this is someone on a regular basis. So let's talk about the decision process on that as specifically what should they be looking for? How should they set that up?
2: I think that when you're going to work with someone like that on a continual contractor basis, you have to think about what type of tasks you're gonna delegate. If they're the kinds of tasks where they could be done at any hour of the day, from anywhere in the world and you know as long as there's a deadline and people understand what the instructions are they'll get them done that's the perfect kind of job for a freelancer or continual contractor relationship and that's because usually these kinds of contractors are you know what we call like the digital nomads or you know people who actually value their independence and their freedom more than they value or at least Equally as, as much as they value their career. So they might be working from Bali one day, and then they might be working from Tennessee another day. And for them, it's more about a deadline. As long as they get their work done by this time, it doesn't matter if they're holding a nine to five schedule or not.
0: Let's talk about that because that's important. What you just said—the deadline and task-oriented approach. Do mm-hmm. you bring in, for instance, some sort of uh, to-do list? I mean, you know, managing that because I think you're right. I think you hit on something, which is bringing in that uh, continuous contractor. It's very much task-oriented, right? Clearly defined what I need and when I need it. Am I using some sort of tool to do that or is it fairly ad hoc via email? I mean, what is the best way to manage that process? Because I think if you do that, you're going to see success. But the problem is if you're so busy, (laughs) right, you may forget when they're supposed to have things to you.
2: Totally. And that's, that's a huge problem for a lot of people. And I frankly don't think that you can be a successful entrepreneur without having some level of organization. And that's tough love for a lot of people because they think, oh, I'm just, I'm the ideas person. I just think of things and then they happen. Well, no, <laughs> that's not how it works. If you are the ideas person, you know, I think Doing soul searching, and that's something that I work on with a lot of my clients, is I I have these conversations all the time where people are like, I know I need help. I know I need help. I just don't know what I need help with. And I say, well, you need to figure that out first. I'm not here to tell you what you need help with. I can consult you on that. I can take you through these processes that help you figure out what to delegate. But it's really a soul searching process because you're trying to figure out who you are and what your value is as the business owner, what you're best at. And really, once you figure that out, you should be delegating everything else. And if you are the ideas person and you're not detail oriented and you're not good at project management or anything like that, then you probably need to get someone to do that first before you even consider hiring anybody else. Because like you said, someone does have to manage the tasks and it might be through a tool. It might be through email. It might be through calendar. That part doesn't really matter. You know, everybody has their own preference on that. But what matters is that someone's there managing it and making sure it gets done. Now, sometimes a contractor can do that. You know, sometimes these people are super organized and, and like I said, deadline and task focused. So they're able to kind of manage themselves. And I would say the best freelancers and contractors are those self starters who will say, you know, if I have a deadline on Friday and it's Wednesday and I haven't gotten what I need from my client to get the thing done, I'm going to be poking you for it. Um, whereas there are other people out there who are just going to wait, <laughs> you know, and let the deadline pass and say, well, you didn't get me what, what I needed. And, you know, I don't think that's the kind of person you want want, whether you're organized and busy and detail oriented or not, you know, you want to be able to hire. That's, that is, I would say the main benefit of hiring a freelancer or a contractor is that they are a self-starter. They're most likely a business owner themselves. So they know how to get work done. They know how to hold themselves accountable and ask for what they need when they need it.
0: So let's go through the uh, contractor scenario a little bit more because I do want to jump on the employee side, but on the contractor side, let's talk about money. Okay. Okay. Um, how should you look with that continuous contractor in paying them? Is it going to be project oriented? Should it be just a steady fee? I mean, talk to me a little bit about how you've seen clients as well as your own people think about you know the money side of it. Because again, that comes into my factor too, right? Yeah, I want to bring somebody in. Heck, I may even hire a project manager as a contractor right. to manage my other contractors. But what is the fee schedule? Is it continuous? Meaning I'm going to pay you the same every week or is it really, hey, you do this, then you get that?
2: I think it depends on what you're working on. But for, for both sides, I think it's definitely easier to have, you know, a fixed monthly fee for a set number of outcomes, right? It's not just, okay, put in these hours necessarily. It's actually complete these projects and do these tasks. And actually, that's really important from a legal perspective, you know, you've got to be careful with being able to prove that they are on their own time, they have these set set of deliverables. um, Because if you ever got audited by the Department of Labor, which I have, um, you have to be able to prove that and you have to be able to prove that they have contracts in place for that. But If you can say, you know, you're getting this much done, you know, you're getting paid for this many, even if it is hours and you agree on a set hourly rate or you set up a set project rate, I definitely think it's easier for everyone to pay that way. Um, But if you're in a situation where your client load really does, you know, grow and shrink on a monthly or quarterly basis, you might not want to commit to that. And I think that's okay if the the contractor is okay with it. You just have to figure out what works best for you um, as the owner. And you have to make sure that your margins are going to cover the freelancer. And that's the thing about contractors is a lot of times they're more expensive because you're not paying for their health insurance. You're not paying for their supplies. You're not paying to have them in the office. So you have to consider that you may be paying a little more per hour, For a freelancer, but overall, you're getting there's less risk.
0: Let's go through the biggest things that you've seen. What are the two biggest mistakes? Because I want to talk about employees next. Two biggest mistakes you see first from the client perspective and second from the contractor perspective. What are the two biggest mistakes that are repeatedly uh, seen in your industry that people are making?
2: From the client perspective, the biggest mistake is forgetting that a contractor is not an employee (laughs) and thinking that you have them on the payroll and you can call them and email them and text them at all hours of the day. That's not how it works. Um, I think that's a problem in sometimes it's a problem on the contractor side where they haven't given you the client the proper expectation, you know, that, you know, I'm only going to be working. I only work for you for 10 hours a week. So that means it's about two hours a day and that's what this might look like in my relationship with you. And but a lot I, we've just seen so many clients really kind of disrespect that boundary and not remember that a lot of times like I said these contractors are their own boss and they are they are business owners themselves and they need to be treated that way. Um from the contractor side you know I think that the not on my team, of course, but <laughs> other contractors that I've seen are uh, they're unrealistic with how much they can get done and how they can manage themselves in their schedule. You know, living a freelancer life is not for everybody. And you know, same thing with being an entrepreneur, it's not for everybody. you're you're not really accountable to anybody but yourself. Mm -hmm. If you don't do your work and you miss a client deadline, well, that client's probably going to fire you, but you may not be motivated by that. So I think the biggest contractor mistake I've seen, and I've heard this from horror stories from current clients is that they just, they aren't that they're good at what they do, but they're not good at managing themselves and they're not good at managing their time.
0: All right. So Jessica, let's go into the employee side. I'll let you take that over. When I said Jessica, I mean, Jessica. Frick. <laughs> See, we're confused. So Jessica, I want you to talk about the employee side with Jess.
1: Well, my first question is, where do you find them? Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, for me, I have
2: started anyone that's become an employee at Don't Panic started as a contractor. And a lot of times they start with me because they are, you know, they maybe just need a little extra money or they're unhappy at their job. You know, we talk about the side hustle. I I started that way. You know, a lot of us start by, you know, being in a job that we're not particularly satisfied in. You're looking for something else. And so we freelance a little bit on the side. And that's how I found my people. They, they come and they work and they prove themselves. And then I say, you know, uh, they're sort of that tipping point, right? Where I feel like I want to bring them in full time. I maybe don't quite have the revenue to cover them yet. Um, I don't tell them that, but <laughs> <laughs> but I know that by hiring them, it's an investment, and I know that when I hire them, I will be able to make that money because I'll have that much more support on my side, so I can focus more on you know the business development, the processes, all the things that I'm supposed to do as a CEO. So that's how. I've historically found people there are I mean and I've been doing this since 2011 at this point there are a lot more uh there are a lot more places that you can look to find these kinds of people there are more virtual assistants out there there are more freelancers web developers out there and um but I think it's really about the cultural fit because if these people can do whatever they want for whatever clients they want why would they want to become an employee of yours you know you have to think about it from that side too. And I found that a lot of people just don't want to be their own boss. They don't want to be responsible for finding clients and, you know, paying taxes and all the annoying things that you have to do as a business owner. So it has not been that difficult for me to find people that want to freelance for me and then want to come on as a full-time employee because of that, you know, they want someone to manage them. They want someone to give them work. So I think finding someone who is younger not necessarily younger, but sort of at that more entry-level place, who's interested in either leaving their job or growing, you know, significantly in the number of hours they're giving you and be a mentor to them, be a good a role model for, for what they want to do in their career. And you'll be able to develop the relationship to the point where you trust each other enough to actually work together. (laughs) Because, you know, I think the best employee really employee employer relationships are the ones that are built on trust and
1: stability. See, and that brings up my next question. So you find the right people and, you know, whether they're full-time or whether you've hired a virtual assistant, Aside from the money, how do you keep them happy?
2: Yeah, well, and it's really hard, I think, in a virtual environment. And it's really it's something that you have to pay attention to more than if you were in an office. Right. Because if you you know, if I have my corner office on Madison Avenue and someone can pop over and see that I'm just like staring out the window And not doing any work, you know, they might not be as, they might not be super happy to uh, continue working for me, but I could be doing that here in my home and they would never know. Um, I'm I'm doing it right now. Totally. We're all doing it, I think. Um, But... um, but we've had to work really hard at that. And for me, I knew I'm, I'm a little bit um, more of like an extroverted introvert. Like that was part of why I wanted to leave my job and work at home because I didn't really want to talk to people. Um, but I realized that it is important. So we, you know, we do a couple of different things. Um, one of the first people I hired as a full time person was sort of an HR uh type role and she's like our cheerleader. She's like keep the team happy. She sends out Monday motivations. You know, she does things to just sort of, you know, keep spirits high. Um she thinks of things like, oh, so and so's mother-in-law went into the hospital. Let's send them flowers. You know, she just she's the one that thinks of little things like that because I was I realized I wasn't very good at that. <laughs> you know, so like I said before, I figure out the things you're not good at and hire for that. Um We also have a private Facebook group. You know, some people do Slack channels, HipChat, you know, there's all kinds of ways to stay connected. We have a virtual office tool called SoCoCo, uh, where it kind of looks like a a floor plan and we all have our own little cubicles. And so people can see when we're working and when we're not technically. Um, And, you know, and someone can pop over my office and say, hey, I have a question about this client or, hey, my paycheck's wrong or whatever it is. You know, they, they know that I'm there and available and I'll, you know, change my status, like right now, we actually have a room in our Secoco office called the sound booth. And that's where we go. (laughs) Yeah. If we're like recording a podcast or, you know, I have my own podcast now. So when I'm recording episodes, it's like, I'm still here. I'm still working, but don't bother me because I'm in the sound booth, you know? So that's
0: great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. And it's just another way for everyone to feel like we're a little, there's, there's a little thread, connecting us and especially we employ a lot of women <laughs> i think women tend to be a little more touchy feely about that stuff but they just want to know they're not alone you know it can be really lonely as a freelancer or as an entrepreneur you know working from home and it's just a little way for us to to stay in touch um In the times when we feel that way or, or you know, even if we don't, Um, we also do like once a month we do these little lunch and learn things where um, a different person from our team will share, you know, for an hour something that they've been working on. Um, We try to highlight our team's personal achievements because, like I said, a lot of them are parents. A lot of them are doing other things, you know, have other hobbies in their lives, which I feel like as an entrepreneur, I'm supporting those by hiring them. I'm supporting those other dreams that they have, but I want to support them in other ways too. make them feel like it's actually good for you to go out and like (laughs) plant things in your garden or cook things in your kitchen. Because I think that that holistic, uh, human hobby thing makes you a better employee and a better worker.
0: So let's go through this. Let's go through this because I think, you know, again, you brought up some amazing points, but I also want to go to the bad side, <laughs> you know, because being the only guy in on the call, I would not think of some bad things because so. <laughs> you're Thanks, so pithy Sean. and positive. So. <laughs> so let's talk about when you have to make that gut wrenching call to cut off the contractor to fire the employee. OK, yeah. because, you know, inevitably, you've worked very hard to build in processes and you've worked very hard to make sure that everyone knows what they're supposed to do, building some camaraderie, as well as helping the client feel like they're getting value from the service. But at the same time, there's just sometimes where people don't fit. And and most of the time, it's maybe a cultural thing, right? You know, it's not mm-hmm. the skills of the person. It's sometimes just the cultural aspect. The client can't get along with them or, you know, you've been working with them. But they just don't fit inside of the environment. Talk about the contractor side. When do you recognize that you need to cut off that continuous contractor? And then conversely, about the employee side, when do you need to cut that relationship? And then let's kind of end on that side, which I know is not very positive, but does come up. So,
2: well, I'm going to make it positive, Sean. Good. <laughs> this is the last thing I do. I'm oh, just kidding. Um, this is something that I don't think you you think you know. And then you don't know, you know, it's like you don't really get taught how to deal with this. One of the things that we've done at this point is we've sort of implemented uh it's like a three strikes rule, but I don't really like to call it that because it seems so it seems very cut and dry. It's not. Uh, but. When we figured out what the things were, like you said, sometimes it's just they're not getting their work done or they're not getting it done on time or they're not getting it done well. Sometimes it's a fit thing. And we work really hard in the hiring process to try to avoid that. And I would say not only on the hiring process of the assistant side, but also on figuring out who we want our clients to be. I mean, we're really picky about who we're even going to bring on as a client because we don't want to go through that. We don't want to have to say, hey, you're not a good fit. Bye. You know, we want to keep them forever. And we've had some of our clients for five, six, seven, eight years. And that's part of why we've been successful. But I think that You have your own as you as a business owner, you have your own metrics of what success looks like and or you should. (laughs) And if you don't, you need to determine that before you hire somebody, because then you can say, you know, I really like this person, but they're not hitting these metrics. They're not, you know, responding to my emails in a timely manner. They're not giving me the right attitude when I give them feedback, whatever those metrics are. It should be really easy for you to see whether or not somebody is hitting them that you've hired. And for me, I think I'm really good at compartmentalizing work and personal. And the lines get blurry when you're in these relationships because, you know, when you have a a personal assistant, they're seeing your life and it can get super personal. But you have to be able to delineate between, okay, do I like this person and is that why I'm keeping them? Or... Are they just not doing a good job or are they not doing not a good fit for me? And I would never let someone go without giving them feedback. I would always try to work with them and get them to the place I want them to be because and this is another thing I would say is the second biggest mistake that clients make with hire someone hiring someone is they think their assistant or their contractor can jump into their brain and just know what they want. And that would be awesome. If I could invent that technology <laughs> <laughs> and be able to do that, I would. But you can't. And there's an investment on the client side. There's an investment of time and giving someone the training and giving someone the expectations that you need for them to be successful. And if you're not willing to do that, and then all of a sudden, oh, they didn't do it the way I wanted, I'm firing them. That's right. unreasonable. You know, you need to tell them exactly what you want, when you want it, how you want it. And then over time, they can start to learn and hopefully preempt your instructions because they start to know you so well. But that doesn't happen overnight. And you need to be able to invest that time. So, one, I would always give feedback. Two, I would try to separate the personal and professional, even if you like them, if it's not a good fit. Let them go. It's better to let them go sooner than later. And that's something that I've learned the hard way in the past. And now I just, I just don't, you know, I say, Hey, you're not a good fit. I'm happy to help you. You know, if you want to get another position or if you want to try something else, but we're done here. And the the good thing for me, and I'd say the good thing for a lot of business owners today is that there the freelancer pool is enormous. And the amount of people who want to work in this capacity is enormous. So even if you let one person go, there's going to be another person there and there's probably going to be a better person out there for you.
0: Sure. You know, Jess, I think you bring up a very good point because when you do bring someone in, whether they are a constant contractor or a full-time employee or even a part-time employee, when you're bringing them in, you take a responsibility on to educate them to train them, to communicate with them, right? And I think that's probably something that, you know, we feel when we're working our own well, they should just get it. I mean, just like I get it because I've been doing it all the time, forgetting that you know it because you do it all the time. And I think when You really fundamentally look to outside resources. You have to be committed to investing the time, knowing that the payoff on that is that they will get really, really good. And if they don't, you have to cut them loose. But it's okay because they're probably going to find something that is a better fit in the long term. Would you say that's a pretty accurate statement? Definitely.
2: And I would say if you want to lessen the burden a little bit, if this is the first time you're hiring someone and training them as you're going through those trainings with them, record them, you know, Ah. do them on a screen flow or do them on some kind of video or something where the next time, if it doesn't work out, you've, you've invested the time, but you don't have invest the same time again, you Ah. have it all recorded and then you can give it to the next person.
0: Jess, this has been phenomenal. Jessica and I can't thank you enough for being here today because you really are someone who has to live with all of these issues. And I loved, loved the insight that you provided today. So thank you again for being on our show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I love you guys. I love the show and I look forward to more.
1: Thank you, Jess.
0: And we will be right back after this short break. Hey everyone, this is Sean Jackson, the host of The Digital Entrepreneur, and I want to ask you a simple question. What is your business framework for selling digital goods online? Now if the question perplexes you, don't worry, you are not alone. Most people don't realize that the most successful digital entrepreneurs have a framework or a general process for creating and selling their digital goods in the online space. And one of the best free resources is Digital Commerce Academy. Digital Commerce Academy combines online learning with case studies and webinars created by people who make a living selling digital goods online. And the best part is that this material is free when you register. Are you interested in joining? Well, I'll make it easy for you. If you're listening to the show on your phone and are in the continental United States, I want you to send a text message to 313131 with the keyword digits, D-I-G-I-T-S. And when you send that text message, we will send you a link to the registration form right to your phone. Are you outside the United States? Don't worry. Just send us an email to digits at rainmaker.fm. Either way, we'll send you a link to the registration form so that you can sign up for free for Digital Commerce Academy. And as a special bonus, we will also subscribe you to our newsletter when you text or email us so that you can stay informed with the latest insights from the show. And don't worry, we respect your privacy, and we will not share your email or phone number, and you can easily unsubscribe at any time. So if you want to start building or improving your framework for selling digital goods online, then please send a text to 313131 with the keyword DIGITS. Or send us an email at digits at rainmaker.fm. You won't be disappointed. Welcome back from the break. So, Jess, it is our time for recommendations. What do you have?
1: Well, since we had Jess on the show today, I want to recommend another great book on a similar topic by Chris Ducker, one of Who? our remakes. Chris Ducker. <laughs> Everybody knows Chris.
0: I know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And if you don't know him, you're about to know him. Check out virtualfreedombook.com. Uh, Chris outlines in detail exactly what you need to do when working with virtual staff to get more time and, in turn, be more productive.
0: Oh. Oh that's a, a a good book for the topic we covered this week. So I am going to key off something that Jess mentioned in the show which is that Sococo because that little tool with having your own little virtual rooms for a virtual organization makes a huge amount of sense to me, especially when she said she had a podcasting room. So I think everyone should at least check out if you're running a virtual organization with multiple people, whether they're contractors on a constant basis or employees, let's take a look at that Sokoko tool, which has the worst name, but is an awesome <laughs> tool. So let's put that as my recommendation for the week. And we'll, of course, include both of these in the show notes on the page for the episode. Which leads us to the end of the show and our question for the week, Jess, are you ready?
1: I am, Sean.
0: Okay, so here is the question. We all know about the unique selling proposition and its importance in any business. However, there is one question related to how unique should you really be? In other words, how much should you really try to stand out versus just a little bit of standing out? What do you say? Should you be really weird (laughs) and so original that you are unrelatable? Or should you be unique enough that you are remarkable and are memorable, but not so much that people are like, who's the crazy person?
1: (laughs) Well, asking me is kind of like walking around the asylum looking for a crazy diagnosis. I mean <laughs> <laughs> so I'm you're probably, all the- yeah, i I say go, go as weird as you need.
0: Go as weird as you need. Okay, so it, it, I will take. weird. <laughs> I will take the more restrained aspect, given my nature and personality, that you want to be remarkable but not completely out there. But, However, Sean, that's
1: totally you. <laughs> like you'll wear these fancy suits, and then you've got like your expensive skull ring, like just hide it.
0: <laughs> well, you yeah. know what folks what do you think should you really be out there and be so unique that it is different or should you be a little bit more strained and more memorable what do you think and we're going to cover this topic in our next episode of the digital entrepreneur everyone have a great week
1: thanks for listening